And bellying up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar, my name is Craig Toth, your host for Minor League News and Brews, covering everything about the Pirates minor league system and reviewing some beers along the way. I am also the co-host of the Bucks in the Basement podcast, which comes out every Wednesday morning with my good friend, Chris Lanuti, and I wanted to kind of follow up on something that we briefly talked about at the beginning of this week's episode of Bucks in the Basement, and no, I'm not talking about the Star Wars franchise or Chris's amazing new beard and how white my beard always is. I wanted to kind of close the book on the John Nunnally situation. It's something that is very minor league oriented, but maybe trickled up into the major leagues, obviously with some of the stuff surrounding how much he did or didn't help Cabrian Hayes and, you know, how actually involved he was in Cabrian Hayes' swing. I went back and I looked at Cabrian Hayes' numbers to begin the season in April and May. I know a lot of us remember the videos that had come out earlier uh, in the offseason with, you know, Cabrian's new swing. He was doing more stuff to help, you know, strengthen his back, his upper body, his torque, and all this other stuff. So we were kind of hoping that he would come out of the gate hot with this new development, but he did not. In April and May, through 220 plate appearances, he slashed 221, 273, 348 with two home runs and a 65 WRC+. At that point in time, he had a toe tap introduced to his approach at the plate, and that was credited to Andy Haynes at the time. Chris and I talked about it. I know Andy Haynes gets a lot of hate, gets you know, but doesn't get much praise. But we did shower him with a little bit of praise during that time for instituting the toe tap for Cabrian Hayes' approach. In the 83 plate appearances in June, he slashed 337, got on base at a 337 clip, a 518 slugging, three home runs, and a 128 WRC+. And if you notice, the I kind of chuckled there a little bit because the batting average and the on-base percentage was exactly the same because in those 83 plate appearances, Cabrian Hayes did not have a single walk. But as we all know, Cabrian's back started acting up at that point in time, was out for a decent chunk there, and he also, I mean, it was it was all of July, um, started, you know, came back into August, and this is when, you know, the story came out by Jason Mackey. We had Jason Mackey on. At the time, there was nobody that really said no, you know, the, the, there was definitely you know, some involvement with John Nunnally, and now we really don't know how much that is. But from August to September, he slashed, uh, in 218 plate appearances, he slashed 299, 335, 539, with 10 home runs, and a 129 WRC+. So as you can see, I mean, he definitely did take the toe tap out, but it wasn't like the production, you know, 
dropped off or that much because I mean, 83 plate appearances, you take that roughly times, you know, two and a half times and you're looking at, you know, say like seven, eight home runs. So like 10 home runs, the WRC plus very similar to June 128 to 129. So, I mean, it was, he had already kind of started to play well before that back injury. So, I mean, I'm not downplaying, you know, what John Nunnally or, you know, what we don't even know how much he helped him, but, you know, Cabrian Hayes had already started to kind of turn a corner prior to his injury, coming back from his injury, maybe, you know, bounce some ideas off of Nunnally, who is a family friend who's friends, you know, with Charlie Hayes and who, I had mentioned a, a bunch of times, and especially had just recently mentioned on this week's episode of Box in the Basement, you know, that he had helped him at the alternate site and, and was just kind of familiar with him. But I also, I mean, I know that a lot of the things, like I know Jared Prugar was on with the North Shore Nine guys. Uh, we've had him on before, Meyer League News and Bruce uh, from the Altoona Mirror. Jared, really great guy, kind of reached out and a source said, you know, philosophical differences. John Nunnally himself saying he thinks it maybe had to do with the stuff with Cabrian Hayes. But, I mean, even if, you know, that was a piece of it, I mean, there is other stuff here that could lead to, you know, a minor league coach, a minor league hitting coach who were, you know, giving credit for saving the career of, of Cabrian Hayes. Um, that he could take some heat uh, as his role as the hitting coach in Altoona. Now, in 2021, John Nunnally was in Indianapolis. He was not in uh, Altoona. He started out there, and I just kind of wanted to look at you know the OPS of just a general overlook of the team, as well as the league average of OPS, just to kind of see how the hitters performed. So in 2021, uh, the Indianapolis Indians as a whole had a 716 OPS with the league average being uh, 743. So then he goes down to Altoona, which I think back then on the show, Chris and I, when we talked about him going back down, because at that point in time, minor league news and brews was just an idea in my head and it hadn't even really started yet. I think we talked about, you know, some of the players that would be coming up uh, from Greensboro to Altoona. And if, you know, they looked that highly on John Nunnally, who worked with Cabrian Hayes in Altoona, who they had sent a couple of players at that point in time, it was Jared Oliva and, and Cole Tucker. Uh, I think it was in 2021. They had him working with them for, you know, about an extra month on a, on a pretty much like a, a one-on-two basis, one-on-one basis uh, down in Bradenton before the season started to kind of work on their swings. We thought that maybe he would go down to Altoona just to kind of, you know, patch the the gap there or just to kind of, you know, help with some of the, the up-and-coming prospects that would be coming through um, Altoona in 2022 and like a Nick Gonzalez, uh, a Henry Davis and a couple of players that, um, that I'm going to be talking about here as far as, you know, not really developing in the way that we maybe thought they would when they arrived in Altoona as another, I guess, possible reason as to why 
John Nunnally would be would be let go by the organization. So in 2022, he goes down to Altoona. Their OPS for the year combined was 744. The league average was 728, so above average. Um, this past year in Altoona, though, a 689 OPS, and the league average was 721. And I think they ranked, it was like 11 out of 12 teams in the Eastern League. And I know some people have said, well, they didn't have a, the same type of hitters that they had in previous years. Well, two guys that they had who they had had in 2022, they also had again in 2023 in a Mr. Matthew Frazier, who in 2021 was the minor league player of the year within the Pirates organization, and then Matt Gorski, who had had a breakout year in 2022. So just to look through some of their numbers as to you know a possible reason as to why you know, John Nunnally may be let go other than, you know, the whole Cabrian stuff and not even really knowing how much that he had helped Cabrian. Uh, so Matthew Frazier, breakout year in 2021. A lot of that time was spent in Greensboro, a little bit of a cup of coffee or an extended cup of coffee up in Altoona, but slashed 306, 388, 552 with 23 home runs, the majority of those coming in Greensboro. But there was a pretty good outlook on him as being a guy that would be pushing, you know, either like a Caden Smith and Jigba or a Cal Mitchell or, or whatever it would be, um, pushing towards, you know, being one of those players to, you know, be in Indianapolis and pushing to get to Pittsburgh in the upcoming years. Uh, in 2022, went to see them play on opening night. Uh, Matthew Frazier hits a home run on that opening night. He hits only five home runs for the remainder of the year. Slashes 219, 284, 333, and was hoping that, you know, maybe that was just an off year. He would take a step forward in 2023. Not the case. The average came up a little bit from 219 to 252. On base comes up uh, 284 to 326. Slugging only goes from 333 to 357 and eight home runs. So Matthew Frazier has kind of, you know, stalled out in Altoona after there was a lot of buzz surrounding him. And then, you know, Matt Gorski in 2022. And once again, you know, piece of this was a decent amount being in Greensboro, got the call up to Altoona, got injured, pretty much, you know, ended his season aside from, you know, uh, I think it was like maybe even one or two games, like three plate appearances or something in Indianapolis to end the season. But in 2022, he slashed 280, 358, 594 with 24 home runs. Now, in 2023, he did hit 20 home runs, uh, but we saw a, a drop in, in all of those numbers and a, and a fairly significant drop overall. So he goes from 280 in his batting average to 231, 358 in on-base percentage to 291, and 598 to 434 in his slugging. So definitely took a step back. Um in having Nunnally more or less as his hitting coach. So we're talking about, you know, maybe firing an Andy Haynes because he hasn't been able to develop some of those young players. Well, that may be the same case when it comes to, you know, the development that John Nunnally was put in charge of down in Altoona.
moving to something that everybody's kind of paying attention to at this point in time. And no, I'm not talking about the major league playoffs, which I mean, I am paying attention to myself as well. But if you're a minor league fan, you definitely are, you know, paying attention to the Arizona Fall League. And for me, it's very cool because it's an extended season kind of for for minor league baseball. So I get to see, you know, some more minor league baseball this season along with the MLB playoffs. But I think there's kind of some misconceptions as to the ultimate goals or what the Arizona Fall League is. Because I've seen comments like, you know, disappointed in the, the prospect pool that is existing for the Pirates or that was selected for the Pirates uh, at this Arizona Fall League. Not, you know, a whole lot of top prospects. I mean, as far as the numbers go, Jack Brannigan, I believe he's number 23 on the MLB pipeline. Pirates top 30 would be their top prospect. But, I mean, looking back on this, um, it, it's something that especially in – you know, the Ben Charrington era, the, I, I would say that the Arizona Fall League has become something a little bit different for them. And the other thing is to look at the Arizona Fall League for what it is. It's a developmental and instructional league. It's not a league of all-stars. I looked it up and I was just kind of curious uh, as to how many top prospects were actually participating in the Arizona Fall League this year. And out of the six teams, out of the 210 players that were selected or assigned or invited, whatever you would want to call it, to the Arizona Fall League, eight of those 210 players are actually in the MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospects. And some of the teams, I mean, you send seven players on the norm. It's usually four pitchers, three position players that you send there. One of them, it seems like one of them almost always um, is a catcher. Um, because if you have your pitchers out there, you kind of want to have, you know, one of your catchers out there as well working with them. But, I mean, looking at that, that you have 8 out of 210, when you work out the percentages, it's about 3.8% of the players are actually, you know, what would be seen as top, top prospects within minor league baseball. And it's it's happened that, you know, within the Ben Sherrington era, that there have been, you know, some bigger names. But I did go back. Um, to 2019, and that was prior to Ben Sherrington, to see, kind of see how things have changed and how they've used it. In 2019, uh, the Pirates players that were invited were O'Neill Cruz, Jason DeLay, Jared Oliva, Blake Cedarland, Nick Mears, Cody Ponce, and Bo Solcer. I mean, O'Neill had at that point in time, you know, taken his his step up to to Altoona. You know, had a little bit of struggles going on there, so just wanted to see him play a little bit more. Uh, Jared Oliver had had a, a a poor first half of the season down in Altoona, had turned a page, flipped the script, whatever you want to call it, and had had a, a really good showing for the second half. So, kind of wanted to work on some of that stuff to see if it would continue. Um, Cody Ponce, you know, pretty newly acquired, wanted to see what you had in him. But then starting in 2021, when the Arizona Fall League came back after uh, the COVID canceled season of 2020, 
we saw uh, Ben Sherrington use the Arizona Fall League in a way at times for players that had you know shown up on the IL at different points in time during the season and maybe didn't get the number of bats they were looking for, didn't get the number of innings because of the the players that were selected there of Bay, Nick Gonzalez, Kanan Smith and Jigba, Bear Bellamy, Mike Burrows, Rowanzi Contreras and Carmen Majinski, only Bear Bellamy was a player that had not spent at least a decent amount of time of their season, you know, on the IL. So they were using it for guys that had, you know, and and so you see like a, a Bay and Nikki G, a Kanan Smith and Jigba, Mike Burrows, or Rowanzi and Majinski, who, you know, were in the higher range of, you know, the top prospects, not only for some of them, you know, within the Pirates organization, but, you know, within Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball overall. So you kind of saw that. And then in 2022, it was it was a decent amount of the same thing because you had, you know, Nick Gonzalez coming back there again, but he had also missed some time. You had Henry Davis. He had missed time during the season, obviously, you know, getting hit by pitches and having the wrist issues and everything. Uh, Quinn Priester had had spent some time on the IL and he had missed, I believe it was almost like the first two months of that season uh, with an oblique injury. So using it for that, I mean, we did have, you know, Blake Sable, uh, Jacob Gonzalez, Omar Cruz, Colin Selby, Tanaj Thomas um, as players that were, were selected as well. And then this year, I mean, pretty much, I mean, I don't know, I mean, who else? I mean, I, people would probably say maybe Tamar um, as being a player due to missing some time with a quad injury. Um, but maybe with, you know, the bump up from uh, Bradenton and to Alt- to uh, Greensboro and, you know, the advanced approach of the plays that he had shown, especially with, you know, the walk percentage, which we had talked about. Um, in a previous episode, you know, being north of 20 in, in the walk percentage category, that that's, you know, maybe they saw enough and maybe he would be a guy that would be, you know, a possible candidate for the Arizona Fall League next season. But the people they select, there is one that kind of, there's actually two that kind of fall along the injury categories. Um uh, Alessandro Ecarlani, he was down in Bradenton, only 19 years old, very young guy, but hadn't pitched since, I believe, the end of July. So to get him some more innings, uh, Carter Bins, you know, there's your there's your catcher. Uh, getting him to be, you know, the guy out there had been in, you know, Indianapolis, also in Altoona, but, you know, dealing with some injuries as well, getting him out there. Uh, the other guys, Nick Domkowski, J.C. Flowers. I think J.C. Flowers is almost, you know, wanting to see what you have with him. I, I He was a guy that prior to this season I had a, a more positive outlook for him, didn't really have that great of a year. Uh, Cameron Junker uh, pitching out of the bullpen in Altoona um, had one of his, you know, best seasons. Uh, but a lot of the stuff when we're, we're talking about this is, you know, the, the developmental and instructional side of this is, you know, the pitchers are, are working on things. The batters may be looking to continue 
to do what they did towards the end of the season to try to, you know, keep that development path going, uh, used for injuries to, to just get the number of at-bats they would want to get. But this is like a league where, like, pitchers may be, like, trying out new and different pitches and, and stuff that can affect, you know, the numbers, like the overall numbers. And that's where, for me, like, I can get excited for players that are selected um, to the Arizona Fall League. I, I'm excited for, for Cameron Junker, excited for Jace Bowen, excited, you know, kind, kind of to see what you have with, with Jack Brannigan. But the other thing is, is that I can't really get excited if they do well, and I can't really get disappointed or I can't be disappointed if they don't perform well, especially with what I just talked about of, you know, they may be trying out some different stuff because it is an instructional and a developmental league. It could be a guy who, you know, has been injured for at different points during the season. So it may be just a way to, to make sure that they're seeing more pitches that, you know, they get to a, a, a standard or a level that was established by the team prior to the season. And I think this shows up at times uh, as far as, as far as, you know, the OP, I always look on this one, I'm looking at OPS and I'm, I'm looking at whip. And, and like I said, it's another thing. It's kind of hard to get excited about a player or just too disappointed when you're basically going to see maybe like a maximum of a hundred plate appearances from a player, which is an extremely small sample size. I mean, it's, I think it's one of those levels of sample sizes that Ben Sherrington and, and John Baker and the like look for from a player is like right around that hundred. And then as a pitcher, you're maybe at max going to see like 25, 26 innings out of a pitcher. So extremely small sample sizes, but looking at the history of the, the AFL Arizona fall league, um, for the years that you know, I looked at the Pirates players for uh, from 2019 to 2022 because, I mean, these numbers are so small right now because I think when you're listening to this, I mean, they may be like five games uh, into the, like the 30-game season. So it's, it's not going to be a big sample size. But in 2019, the OPS was 764 for the league. In 2021, it was 786, and in 2022, it was 771. So all what would be seen as like an over or above league average OPS, even in those years. And during that time, we've seen, you know, it become more of, I would say, a hitter-friendly type league. Uh, even in like 2019, the, the whip uh, for all of the pitchers combined in the league. It was 1.304. So as Chris and I talked during the season, that's like you're looking at like, you know, the comps of like a number, you know, three, four, or five starter on a competitive ball club overall. Well, in 2021, it went the whole way up to 1.628, which wouldn't be even for a guy that would be in like even a starting rotation. And then the, the average in 2022 across the board was 1.563. So, I mean, it's it's hard. To, like I said, that's why it's like kind of hard to get excited or to get disappointed. The guy doesn't perform well. It's almost like even in like spring training. I mean, you want to see your pitchers come out and perform well. But, I mean, even in that, you don't know what 
the players working on? Is it like, okay, we want to see, you know, how your curveball showed up this season. We want to see, you know, what your changeup looked like that we asked you to work on. Hey, it looks like you were starting to develop a slider towards the end of the season. Like, why don't we try to hone that in and we're going to throw it more often than not. And we're going to see, you know, how it works and, and how that could be, you know, different. And, and as far as like going on the lines of like the instructional and the developmental league, uh, Christopher Clegg put a tweet out there and I just kind of wanted to mention this is that, um, and he is, uh, from uh, Dynasty Dugout. He does the Toolshed podcast, a great follow. Um, and I know it's a lot of, you know, for like fantasy type baseball stuff, but a lot of times like fantasy and especially Dynasty type stuff, it kind of, uh, you know, mirrors like development. So it can have some good information as well. So Chris Clegg, a great follow out there. Uh, but it was about the rules that are being experimented within the Arizona Fall League. Uh, the pitch clock, 15 seconds with bases empty, and 18 seconds with runners on. Uh, the running lane from home to first, runners won't need to be in foul territory just in the dirt path. Because we've, I mean, we've seen um, some, you know, like types of interference calls, whether, you know, from the home plate umpire called against us. Uh, called for us, you know, at times, but it seemed like more against us and just kind of like saying like, is it actually interference just based on where a player's at or did they really get in the way? Uh, blocking bases. This is something that I believe it was Andrew McCutcheon tweeted about after I think it was maybe a Leova Pagaro slide um, where the, the, I guess it would have been like the left foot of, the shortstop second baseman was kind of blocking the runner's path to the base. What's blocking bases, defenders must provide runners, must provide a runner a lane to the base. Um, ABS, big thing right here, uh, will be used, but zone will be based on player-specific stance rather than height. So it's not putting it, you know, just into a system and saying every single person who is five foot ten gets the same strike zone, even though this this guy may crouch and this guy may stand up more. It's going to be based on you know their stance, which is kind of cool to look at. And this is something that I noticed uh, the Pirates doing this last rule, and it's running through second. Runners will be called out if they run through second on force plays without intending to advance to third. And I think we saw that as like kind of like one of those. Uh, I know you can't like you can't run out of the you can't slide and impede the guy trying to make the throw. You know, sliding out of the baseline. So it was like almost one of those other ways to kind of like throw off the person trying to make the relay. Uh, from second to first by just kind of running straight through. I think at one point in time, I think it was maybe Jack Sawinski or something, maybe got a ball like kind of bounced off of his head. So this is like saying, okay, it's almost another safety measure, another type of thing that's like, okay, th this was a rule that you're trying to circumvent. And so we're going to try out this new rule to kind of take away the, the loophole that you're using uh, to try to fix that. So, But anybody who's watching the Arizona Fall League, please enjoy it. But also, please don't read into it too much. I know that, like, after three games, I saw a bunch of articles about, like, you know, Jace Bowen's hot start. But, I mean, I obviously didn't see any articles today on the 6th after he went 0 for 4 and struck out twice uh, in, in the game the previous night. So, 
I mean, it's just like one of those things. Or I saw like, you know, Jace Bowen has a great game and Jack Brannigan was in the lineup too. And you can't even mention, they just, what, why are you saying Jack Brannigan's in the lineup? Well, Jack Brannigan went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. And they're trying to just kind of play up almost the positive types of things. And I don't think in this case you have to either be overtly positive or overtly negative about anything. You just have to kind of enjoy watching a baseball game. A pitcher of beer, a pitcher of beer. Let's order another pitcher of beer. That pitcher of beer should come over here. I love that pitcher of beer. Coming back with some beer reviews and going back to more Oktoberfests and by Oktoberfests, I mean pretty much a full slate of, of Oktoberfests and fall beers. Uh, for the first one, and I believe I've reviewed um, each of these breweries before. I'm trying to think about Victory. I'd have to go back and look at my list. Um, it's So I don't know if Victory is, is one that I've used before. I, I want to think that it was. Uh, but the first three definitely have the breweries themselves have been reviewed, but not these beers. Um, Elliotcottville Brewing in New York, their fall festival lager coming in at 5.6%. This isn't as full flavored as an Oktoberfest, like he says, a more of a fall festival lager, 5.6%. Give this one a 425, knocks it down to 375 with the weighted based on batting average uh, for the Great Lakes Oktoberfest. And like I said, people, if people are spelling Oktoberfest, got to spell it with a K. All these guys are doing it right. Great Lakes Oktoberfest, the 6.5%, a little bit heavier, uh, the more traditional Oktoberfest, 6.5%. Give that one a 450, bring it down to 400. Hundred bells, bells. Oh, and Comstock. It is a great. I I love that brewery. Like Bells is just such a good brewery. Their Oktoberfest beer, and I love that they put didn't just put Oktoberfest on there. They put Oktoberfest beer. Five point five percent didn't have like the alcohol content, but still had a lot of the same full flavor. Really like this one. 475 bring it down to 425 and victory with their fest beer Oktoberfest 5.6% another one of a little bit more of a four flavor a 5.6% and we're going to give that one a 475 as well really enjoyed it bring that down to 425 hopefully in these next upcoming weeks I know I've been wanting to do the the recaps of each minor league level season haven't been able to work that out with some of the people I want to bring on. That's my fault. The scheduling has been kind of crazy here with uh, fall baseball wrapping up. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. So hopefully I can bring that to you guys in the upcoming weeks. <laughs> <laughs> 